Las Vegas. Welcome back. Welcome to Heatwave Sports. I am Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com. Here with Chris Wynn tonight. Tim has the night off, and I got to tell you, it's been a while since I've talked to you guys, and man, has there been just great, great sports going on. Happy New Year out there. I don't know when the cutoff date for Happy New Year to say it is, but Happy New Year out there to everybody, and happy Wild Card Weekend to everyone out there. Wow, I got to tell you, it, it started to kind of drag a little bit yesterday, but we had just two shocking games today. Not only by the result in the first game, but just by the cool situation that we had in that second game. The way that it went down, it was all of Detroit on display. And we will get into that with my Lions fan co-host tonight, Chris Wynn. We will get into that in a moment. Go check us out, guys, at HW Sports over on the X there. Tom Barton Sports over on Twitter and the X. Christian Wynn over there as well, or 876-1340. Get you a part of the show. But we will be breaking down the wild card games that did happen yesterday and today. I want to get into all of the games tomorrow. We have now two games tomorrow. It's a perfect situation with Martin Luther King Day out there. Uh, you get back-to-back games, something to do all day. We also have the Super Bowl on the horizon. Belichick is gone. Pete Carroll is gone. Nick Saban's gone. I want to get Chris's thoughts on all of that as well. So we have a lot of catching up to do, but it's not a catch-up show because this show and the beginning of this show is dedicated to the first playoff victory since 1991. And fans of this show know that we have Brian Feldman and Chris Wynn as our resident Lions fan. And I can say, no longer can say, long-suffering, Chris, I can say, smiling ear to ear. Chris, how you doing tonight? Not that I need to ask. All right, I don't think we uh, we have Chris here. Not, not there. Hey, maybe Chris is still, like, out there celebrating. <laughs> it's very possible. Um, so, yeah, listen. What the Lions did tonight was just it was just fantastic. And I do want to wait until we get the good connection with Chris to, to jump on. Um, and the way that they did it, look, I know Stafford is one of their own, right? But it's also a spot where I seem to be looking at the Lions all week and just looking at the Lions and saying, why is everybody on the Rams? Why is everybody that I know... On the Rams. And listen, from a betting standpoint, you know, everybody out there from a betting standpoint is going, yeah, listen, I, I won with the plus three, plus three and a half or whatever, whatever that might be. Yeah, everybody must have been really pumped up about that. But there was something inside of me that said too many people are discounting what the Lions did this year. And what the Lions really, let's be honest, what they've done under Dan Campbell, what they've done with Jared Goff, which is really prevail at home. And really just look like that type of team that is ready to take the next step. If they were not from Detroit and they didn't wear the Honolulu blue and they didn't have the history of Detroit, we would have been looking at this team as a team that took the natural steps. There are teams in sports that take the natural steps, right? They get a new coach. You see a little bit more fire in them. The next year, they get a little better right? Uh, maybe they they fight for something. Next year after that, you start to win playoff games. And and you start to see the progression. You start to see yeah. the progression in Jared Goff. Can you hear me with Tao? Hey, Chris, what's going on? Can you hear me? 
Uh, good, Tommy. I can hear you fine. Yeah, I was. Uh, I didn't know if I was jumping in a lot or you were or not as well too. But uh, just want to check and make sure that we had everything on the up and up as far as our sound tonight, gentlemen. I am waxing poetic about the Detroit Lions, about how people were just against them right up until it because they were the Lions, and no one in this town is better to speak on the Lions than you. So take the floor, my man. Gloat, smile, do anything you want, because it's been a very long time since you've been able to. Yeah, no question yeah, about it, right? Tommy Barton right, is uh, uh, a long-time uh, suffering uh, Detroit Lions fan. Last time the Lions had a playoff win where Tom Barton was just a young buck, too. Just in my college days, when that went down back in 1991, uh, yeah, it was actually absolutely a, uh, a you know, circle around moment, not question, here in Las Vegas, and for Lions fans country across the world it was uh it was just kind of a oh finally moment right <laughs> oh my gosh we finally were able to kind of get over that hump that we haven't been able to get over for so many years so um and it was look it was I, i'm not going to use the word uh you know sweet because because matthew stafford was on the other side i think there was a lot of consensus uh, even after the game tonight that uh, a lot of lions fans still have a lot of admiration for matthew stafford uh, as as a quarterback he pretty much came into his own with the detroit lions in his you know his 12-year career before he even went to los angeles and then ended up winning a, a super bowl ring but uh it was it was special to get that win against that team with that quarterback there, that I will quarterback say that without question. Without and, uh, question. and uh, so it did. It was. So it, did, it was. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was definitely it was sweet definitely to see that happen. See that happen. And, uh, and the uh, way in which it went down. It and Tommy, of course, you kind of elaborated on that as we, on that as we jump into the show here on Heatwave Sports. After watching the first game, right, which is pretty much a snoozer from the onset, in which one team just got absolutely annihilated and lambasted in an embarrassing way, and which is going to trigger a lot of what we're going to discuss, I'm sure, later on in the show. With respect to the Dallas Cowboys, but hey, uh, it was just uh, a big time surprise to see what went down in that matchup against with the Packers and the Cowboys, and then to uh, what transpired with the Lions and the Rams, where you had two teams that uh, really, let's be honest, Tommy. I mean, let's be straight up about it. They're pretty evenly matched football teams in the Los Angeles Rams and the Detroit Lions, uh, maybe with some different aspects uh, where they where they have strengths and where they have weaknesses. But, uh, but it ends uh, up going down to the wire. The Lions the at, home at home are able to get able the defensive, get stop, defensive stop, that stop that they need and to, uh, and you know, uh, and get the holding get penalty the holding with Los Angeles, Los Angeles there to take them out of field goal range, essentially. And uh, with an and, opportunity uh, where they could have taken the lead in that game there. And then, of course, to get the big time play. In in the, uh, in the you know in, in that final drive that final where Amara Ross St. Brown makes the catch and they get that first down to essentially you know waste away the rest of the clock. Um, it was it was outstanding for Lions fans as you can imagine and uh, a long time coming for for uh, all the fans of Honolulu Blue and Silver. And so uh, yeah, so now it's kind of a sit back, wait and see kind of situation with. Uh, 
the two games taking place tomorrow. But it's it's signed, sealed, and delivered. The Packers will be taking on the San Francisco 49ers in Santa Clara coming up next weekend on Saturday. And the Lions will sit back and wait to see if they play the Philadelphia Eagles or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers coming up at 3 o'clock on Sunday, Eastern time. Eastern time. Chris, take me through the game a little bit from from a Lions fan's perspective. Um, the The game is in, well in hand, right? I mean, you're up 17-3, you're rolling, everything's great. And then you start to see Stafford, which you guys have seen many times in that building, moving the team, big plays, hitting big things. What, when did you feel, uh-oh, we're the same old Lions? And when did you finally say, you know what? Wow, we're not the same old Lions. Well, that's the interesting thing, right, Tommy, is that we didn't really have, and I say we because I was watching the game with a a lot of uh, Detroit Lions fans transplants here in Las Vegas at a local watering hole that was a Lions bar. Uh, There wasn't necessarily a resignation that it's the same old Lions. We really didn't have that feeling at all. It was more of a case of respect for the Rams. I mean, I mean, let's be let's be let's be honest. I mean, Puka Nakua has had an unbelievable season at the wide receiver position for the Los Angeles Rams all season long. Stafford, you know, look, this was a team that was three and six going into their bye week, and they were uh, extremely underperforming throughout the entire season. And then in the second half of the season, you get Nakua going even more. You have, uh, you know, obviously, you know, when you have Kyron Williams, who is, you know, quietly, what, the top three running back in the NFL this year? I mean, the guy was, the guy was, uh, you know, had his moments as well, too. And then we, we saw the Lions defense wasn't exactly stout the entire season. Yes, they have some pieces when you're talking about, you know, the likes of, you know, you're talking about a big time player on the defensive line, you know, uh, you know, who, who is, who is one of the, you know, the best uh, players in the NFL as a rookie. Um, they have some linebacker, linebackers that have some promise, but from a secondary standpoint, the Lions, it's been a lot to be desired when it comes to that side of the football for Detroit. So there was almost kind of a, you know, hang on for dear life feeling, Tommy, really, when it came to the Lions from a defensive standpoint. And, but, but there, there was also an expectation that the Lions offensively would be able to be able to handle themselves. And you saw that, of course, in the first half at the Lions and scoring there first three offensive possessions, scoring touchdowns. And that, to me, was the bottom line in the game. The Detroit Lions were able to score touchdowns in this football game while the Los Angeles Rams were kicking field goals. And that was a sentiment that, uh, you know, that the head coach for Los Angeles talked about after the game. That was a sentiment Dan, Dan Campbell had. That was a sentiment that Matthew Stafford had and others as well, too. So, um, yeah, so there wasn't necessarily a few – or a feeling that, oh, this is going to be the same old Lions. We're going to find a way to cop the game away. It was more of a of a perspective of, hey, offensively, they can't really stop us, especially there in the first half, right? And uh, and we, we still should be able to score in the second half. Now, that didn't end up being the reality of the situation, but there still was the expectation that we could, if we needed to, reach deep down and, and, get, and get some points offensively. Um, um, it was more, it more was or less, kind of a respect less, factor for the for the Rams and what it what it is that we think they were capable of doing. And then at the end of the day, making a play to win a playoff game in a tight situation that you know, quite frankly, the Lions franchise has never really been able to do 
in the modern era. And so the fact that that ended up coming to fruition and they were able to do that in the second half and obviously specifically in the fourth quarter on that final drive was a uh, was a big time revelation. And was uh, was, is something uh, that gives. I got to be honest, Tommy. Right? It it gives us Lions Lions fans fans and uh, and uh, and all those uh, Honolulu uh, Blue and Silver faithful faithful confidence going into the next matchup, matchup, whether it's against Philadelphia or against Tampa Bay, Bay, that they can continue this run. run. Chris, um, there was a questionable coach's decision, and we could start to look at Dan Campbell, and we know. Look, he got. He got pretty blasted by a lot of media members when he was hired. Uh, A former ESPN analyst actually said he was only hired because he was white. People didn't know what was going on. This guy's a clown. I mean, he really, really, really was blasted for a while. He shut those critics up pretty quickly. Um, He's always been known as a gambler. He's always a guy that will take chances. But I, I questioned it at the time. The third down play that turned into a fourth down play where they could have given the Rams an opportunity for like a 50-plus yard field goal, which would have given them the lead. Instead, he decided to trust his defense, send them back, and send them to a third and 14, which wound up really being the difference in the game. It was a brilliant move by Dan Campbell that wound up turning around being brilliant. But if that doesn't work, he's blasted in Detroit forever. At the time of the move, did you agree with that and say, you know what? Yes, send them back. Or were you like, hey, look, you know what? Come down the field. All you got to do is kick a field goal to win this game, even if they make it. Yeah, well, let me make a couple comments first before I I, I address that specific situation because you brought some interesting points regarding Dan King. Campbell. And – Look, we're going to talk about the Cowboys and the Packers game as well, too, later on in the show. But there's been a couple of things when it comes to the NFC North, Tommy Martin, that I have put my my foot is completely in my mouth and I was completely wrong about. You just addressed one of them. What is that? Well, it's that Dan Campbell is a head coach in the NFL. I was one of those people, Tom Barton, that came out and thought that it was ridiculous that Dan Campbell was hired as the head coach here. And then I thought that I was even more vindicated when he started coming out started and he initially out, with that press conference, we started talking about biting off kneecaps and, you know, coming at it from kind of a meatheadish type of approach as a head coach in the league. I was like, ah, you know, this is not going to go well. And then of course I was reverting back to my, you know, Detroit Lions history when it came to general managers and head coaches. And I thought that it was absolutely a terrible move by the Lions organization to hire him as the head coach. I was completely wrong. I was also completely wrong, by the way, and uh, as, as I talked about with this Green Bay Dallas game, I was completely wrong on, on Love as a quarterback. I did not think Love was a franchise quarterback in this league. Again, I have my foot in my mouth. Now, specifically to that, that, that play that you talked about and that sequence that took place, I was on board with everybody in, in, in the establishment, Tommy Barton, that would is 100% behind backing them up in that situation because we did not want the the Rams to have a chance to kick the field goal that would give them the lead. So I I don't think myself and other Lions fans and uh, and I'm sure even the announcers, the, the, the Lions television, the Lions radio announcers were probably thinking this is the right move is to back them up and count. And yes, as you said, 
count on our defense to keep them from being in field goal range and force them into a 100% punting situation. Right. That was kind of the mentality that a lot of us had. So I, I was absolutely on board. And look, again, as much as I just talked about how I was not down with Dan Campbell, you know, as being hired as the head coach, I was also myself and a lot of us, Tommy, and you, you, you too as well, too, as I'm sure as Tim Ugglesby has too as well. There were a lot of ridiculous decisions made by Dan Campbell throughout the season. I mean, he made some terrible decisions when it came to fourth down decisions, when it came to play calling, when it came to, uh, you know, certain scenarios throughout the season. He made some bad moves. Moves, and they proved they proved out to be bad moves. But I'm definitely not going to put that situation that happened tonight on that third down, which ended up being a holding call, which ended up getting backed up. That is not one of them, Tommy. That was uh, the right decision, in my opinion. And uh, I mean, I guess we all look like geniuses, right? We all look uh, smart after the fact because the Lions were able to stop them. But um, yeah, that was not one yeah, of the situations that, that there have been plentiful situations, Tommy, throughout the regular season in which Dan Campbell made the wrong one. And uh, that definitely was not one of them. Chris, final final uh, kind of thoughts here on the game itself. Then we'll talk about what uh, what happened earlier <laughs> in the game before this. Uh, but your last yeah. thought is, yeah. you know, the Stafford-Jared Goff conversation has been obviously – just talked about it nauseam this week for good reason. It's one of those few trades I think both teams would make again. It's one of those few trades that I think everyone's extremely happy with. But when you look at this trade and you look at where the Lions were, where the Lions are now, who they have in place, you really have to really admire them taking a chance on a Jared Goff who we thought, and I specifically called, a placeholder. I thought he was just going to be a placeholder. Jared Goff now turns around, and I'm not trying to make too much about one game, but guys, he did start a Super Bowl. He started a Super Bowl. Now he's taken a team, a downtrodden team at that, back to the playoffs. He's turned his career around, and now Jared Goff is all of a sudden that guy in Detroit that you go, we're going to have to give him a big-term time contract here. He's going to be the guy. And... You start to look at Matthew Stafford, and Chris, you think that this was Matthew Stafford's last hurrah? Do you think he walks away now? Uh, not that he walks uh, away. He walks uh, look, away. my uh, comments my regarding comments this regarding this trade, trade um, and look, it, there's going to be a little bit of bias probably coming from Chris Wynn, the Lions fan here, trying to uh, kind of go a little bit along the lines that you had. Uh, you, you, that basically what you just said regarding you know, it, it could be looked at as a win-win situation. Now, look, I'm hesitant to say win-win when one team ends up, you know, winning a Super Bowl basically the next year after the guy ends up joining the team. Then I, it, it's tough to say that well the Lions are right there in the same camp as uh, as Los Angeles. But, uh, but uh, you know, given you know, look, look, given the look, details look, look, that that pick, right, the Lions, right, you know, Lions sending their 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 first round picks in 2022 and the third round pick in 2021, and Los Angeles has two comp picks in the third round. You know, the you know in the exact selection between like 88th and I think it had one 101 and 102. So, 
but, but basically the trade was what? It was Stafford, was right, Stafford, for Jared Goff. Right. And then you got, you know, you selection got, choice. This is a third-round pick in 2021. That was a compensatory pick. You had also, uh, you know, a first-rounder in 2022 and a first-rounder in 2023. So, and then you look at the contracts, right? You had Goff, who had, uh, you know, a $25 million contract at the time in 2021. With all but with you know six hundred and fifty grand fully guaranteed, and the Lions were on the hook for thirty three million of, of dead cap money for trading Stafford's contract away. So, um, so if you look at the details, it, it, it you would think that there's kind of an even even trade off there with those two players, but but obviously what do we do, Tom? We focus on the quarterbacks. It's the quarterbacks, you know, the guys who, by the way, happen to still be the starting quarterbacks for the opposing team. And end up playing and in this game, this and end up being a huge factor in this game, game, especially when it comes to Stafford. So, um, I, I think at the I end of the day, as we uh, move forward into the you know the second week of the playoffs in 2023, it it, it is very much a situation where the, both teams kind of benefited. The Rams benefited more because they won a Super Bowl. But uh, the Lions but, uh, certainly the Lions did not get uh, hosed in any way, shape, or form. And, and to your point that you just made, you just made of the idea that Jared Goff that was going to be, Goff you know, a kind of a guy that just kind of uh, just uh, treads water for a while for at the quarterback while, position for the Lions, for the Lions, that is not the case. I mean, it just absolutely is not the case. Now, I don't now, know I don't how far know I'm going to go with you on the whole, he's the guy. Because... I mean, and look, I'm not sitting here, you know, trying to break any news or have any hot take that they're bringing in some other quarterback or that, you know, that there's somebody on the horizon that's going to end up being the franchise guy in Detroit. But that being said, I mean, I, I, I'm still, again, this is Tommy, this is my Lions fandom coming in here. I, I, I don't know I, if I'm sold yet that, you know, that, stat, that, that Jared Goff, that Jared Goff and look, I'm kind of foreshadowing what I think is going to actually happen actually in this playoff season, playoff season. and uh, what, and, I, what, uh, how far I, exactly I think the Lions are going to go. But I'm not yet sold that Jared Goff is going to be the guy in any kind of long-term fashion, long-term meaning like three years from now. Uh, so I, so I'm still kind of up in the air on that, but, but your point well taken. I get it. I get it. The Lions are where they are, and it, it's great to see them get their first playoff win in, you know, three three decades. But uh, we'll see exactly how it does shake out for Detroit when it comes to uh, come to fruition as far as uh, as how much how much impact Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford have with their respective teams the rest of their careers. You know, I kind of want to be on the air with you next week because I think that the Lions can. Uh, make some serious noise. I, I think that um, Jared Goff. Look, he's not getting a statue out front, but I think I think Jared yeah. Goff is yeah. is is the guy. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, I, and and I also look at it, <clears throat> and I I wonder how much had to do with the short window that they believe Stafford would have. Um, I don't believe that Detroit at the time thought that they were going to be in the playoffs for the next couple of years, next few years, which they weren't. And I, yeah. I think that that's why I asked you at the end, does Stafford walk away? I think you have to ask that question every year. We're used to an environment, a quarterback environment now, where we're spoiled, where Tom Brady's playing until he's like 65. Aaron Rodgers is playing until he's 40. You know, we're spoiled. Reality is, mid-30s, these guys are done, right? I mean, even Drew Brees, right? mid thirty, these guys are done. Stafford's at that point where multiple injuries – it wouldn't shock me 
to see Stafford walk away. So, yeah, I, I do. I, and you you added the draft picks and everything else. I, one for one, Stafford's wearing a ring, right? So I, I get it. But yeah. if yeah. you're telling me right now, where, where do I think? I, look, Detroit just won a playoff game. Jared Goff had really good numbers the last two years. Jared Goff fits that system. Goff is, in my opinion, a win away from people going, wow, he's the anointed one. He's the next guy. So I I don't know, Chris. I think it's from the outside looking in, and I will defer to you on this, but I think it's a lot closer than you're making it out to be. Well, I'll push back a little bit, Tommy, right? Because you're talking about this, and we're looking at this from a foreshadowing standpoint, right? We're talking about the Lions this year. In the playoffs. playoffs. And make no mistake about it. They're going to be favored next week, regardless of whether or not they play the Buccaneers or they play the Philadelphia Eagles, right? But we all understand what is probably waiting on the horizon if we're going to be honest with ourselves. And we're going to think about what exactly is about to transpire when it comes to the NFC playoffs, right, Tommy? And, of course, I'm talking about the San Francisco 49ers. There's already – Tommy, you've probably heard it. You've been on social media today. You've been bouncing around on television and probably radio. You've already heard the discussion regarding the the Green Bay Packers, right, going on a short week to to take on the San Francisco 49ers. Almost almost the foregone conclusion that, you know what, it was great that they knocked off Dallas, right, and they were impressive as all get out. And, you know, you got Aaron Jones going nuts in his home state. And, you know, and, and, and Love looks like a franchise guy and this and that. But it's almost like a foregone conclusion, right? The, oh, yeah, you got to go to San Francisco. And, uh, and, and what's going to happen there? And so, look, I'm being kind of a realist, Tommy, and thinking, you know, yeah, they could get another win next week. The Lions could get another win. Jared Goff, as you said, Jared Goff getting – now, your opinion is Jared Goff, if he gets a win against Philly or Tampa Bay, then that kind of like puts the Lions in a, in some type of corner where they have to, you know, you have to commit to Jared Goff or you have to uh, – or, or, or there's got to be some expectation that he's going to be the guy moving forward. And it makes total sense. I get it. It does. It makes total sense. It probably will be the situation. But um, I guess I'm trying to look more big picture when it comes to the NFC playoffs the rest of this year. And I don't have any delusions, Mr. Barton, that the Lions are a better football team than the Niners. And, you know, I mean, I I guess the scenario could present itself where the Green Bay goes out there and gets a win. And then that's probably going to be one of the biggest shocks in the history of shocks in NFL playoff history. But if that does transpire, then, yeah, then then I guess the Lions, you know, could be – uh, a team that's looking at a real shot at heading to Las Vegas for the Super Bowl. But uh, I'm also, again, I, I, I'm trying to keep my feet on the ground, Tommy. Tommy, I'm trying to. I'm trying to keep my feet on the ground, my friend, and not act like, you know, this is some uh, scenario in which Jared Goff is going to be, you know, is going to be jumping on his white horse and leading the Lions to uh, to, to an opportunity to come to, to Las Vegas for the Super Bowl. I just... I I I, I yeah, guess I, I'm I guess kind of pumping the brakes on that situation a little bit. Don't pump the brakes. Let your wings fly, <laughs> man. This is the time to do it, Chris. Go crazy, man. <laughs> All right, Chris. Look, I want to believe though, quick... right? I want to believe, sir, right? Because I've I think you have a reason to believe. Things, right back in 2009, I've seen some of these teams that you know the Seattle Seahawks of the world, right? That that have gone out and and finally 
finally got over the mountaintop, Tom Barton. They finally got there. I want to believe the Lions could be that team, but I just think, I mean, I really do. I see the likes of a, of a, you know, of the Baltimore Ravens, and I, you know, of of, of uh, Tim Oglesby's Baltimore Ravens, and I see those those San Francisco 49ers over the horizon, and I just, I don't want to, you know, go crazy or believe too much just yet when it comes to 2023-24, my friend. I understand it. Uh, the excitement has to be, uh, you know. <laughs> um, it has to be be quelled a little bit, but hey, why not? Have a little fun. Uh, Chris, let's take a quick timeout. When we do come back, there was another game. And it was not at all as entertaining, but it may have been more shocking, that's for sure. So we'll talk about that. Get ready for tomorrow's games. Are they even going to play the game in Buffalo? I want your take on should they, will they? And we're also going to talk about the underrated game, that Tampa Bay-Philly game. I think... I think this could be one of those classic, just knock them down, drag them out type of games. We'll talk about that as well. Let's take a quick timeout. We'll be back right after this, right here on Heat Wave Sports. And now back to Heat Wave Sports. Here's Tom Barton. All right, guys, welcome back. Heat Wave Sports, Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com. Chris Wynn sitting in with me today. And we are lovingly talking about the Detroit Lions. I'm getting excited for them. Chris is trying to remain calm, remain in control, be professional. Uh, I don't know. I wanted I wanted to see you go crazy. Tell me the win of the Super Bowl, Chris. But level head is Tommy Barton. I gotta keep it on an even keel, my friend. Not just not just not go too crazy. You know, that's the deal. <laughs> I wouldn't let I wouldn't get mad at you if you went nuts, man. I, I, I think uh, I think we need more of that going crazy. Chris, before your game though, tonight, we had a absolute slaughter of a game. And if I told you that <laughs> 12 hours ago, you would have said, that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, Dallas is rolling, and I could see them absolutely crushing that game. That makes sense. Um, I, I, could, I could certainly see Dallas running up the score. Sure. Um, the over-under for Dak Prescott was like two and a half touchdown passes. By the time it went off, I got it at one and a half. It, yeah, yeah, they're going to roll. They're going to absolutely roll. No, 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 no. It was Green Bay. It was the Green Bay Packers that absolutely rolled the Dallas Cowboys. Chris, from the get-go here, this was just all kinds of ugly. Green Bay jumped out. They couldn't stop Aaron Jones. They couldn't stop Lowe. The defense had a couple of touchdowns. Uh, Dak Prescott imploded. They couldn't find C.D. Lamb. I mean, there was just no game plan, no situation. They were outcoached. They were out-toughed. They were out-gutted. They were out positioned. They, there was no way, and look, forget about the final score because it's not even close, but there is no way that anyone saw this coming. Even the, even the head coach of Green Bay couldn't have expected this. Everything went wrong for Dallas. Everything went right for the Packers. It was a complete and utter destruction. Yeah, the goal of the Green Bay Packers here coming into 23-24, Tommy, was to find out if Jordan Love was a franchise guy. Well, that decision might be coming sooner than later, my friend. Uh, this game was, as you pointed out, from a score standpoint, 48-32 was the final, but it was nowhere near even that close. The, the Green Bay Packers came out in this game 
like gangbusters, you know, through the air with with the chucks across the middle of the Dobbs. Then you had Aaron Jones just going nuts like he was back at UTEP, just grinding up yardage left and right. And uh, before you knew it, Green Bay was up 7 nothing in this game. And uh, it started to uh, obviously cause some concern for all the Cowboy backers there, the 90,000-plus 90, 90, that were there at Jerry's World at AT&T Stadium. Uh, love was just absolutely spectacular, Tommy. There's no other way to put it. 272, three touchdowns without interception before he came back into the game after the Cowboys pulled that game within 16 points. Uh, a perfect passer rating, right? 158.3 uh, ends up dropping to 157.2 because he had two incompletions when he came back in into the game. But he was absolutely sensational, um, finding wide receivers left and right. And then, of course, Aaron Jones. I mean, what can you say? Uh, there were just uh, It was just a situation where, um, yes, I believe that Micah Parsons is one of the best defensive players in football. I think that goes without saying. But the Dallas Cowboys were just looking for answers on the defensive end of the football in this game, and they were not finding it. It was, uh, you know, the discussion, of course, the storyline all throughout it, right, Tommy, was, hey, uh, you know, uh, you, you know, yeah. Green Bay scored another touchdown. Green Bay ended up getting to pay dirt again, but uh, we'll see if the Dallas Cowboys can make a comeback. But they weren't able to make a comeback because every time that they would even get any points on the board, whether it was a field goal or touchdown, Green Bay seemed to score two or twice. Right. So it was just a, it was a clear uh, indication that. Las Vegas Las always Vegas seems to win out, right, Tom Barton? We're going to talk about it from a gaming standpoint. This is one of those games where, uh, you know, the handicappers, people that want to kind of break it down, if you wanted to go any direction, whether it was a teaser or whether it was a parlay or whether it was a straight bet, you were going to end up on the losing end if you had, you know, the team with the star on the side of the helmet. That's exactly what ends up happening in this football game. And it was uh, the word that was used so much and was so apropos was shock. That's what it was, right, Tommy? It was shock as to what happened in that game because the Green Bay Packers uh, won every single aspect on the football field in this game. And uh, it came to fruition with a Green Bay victory and now an opportunity to take on the San Francisco 49ers up in Santa Clara. Yeah, you know, look, I, I look at Green Bay and I have for more than a decade sat on these airways and told you how much I loathe Green Bay. Um, yeah. This is a hard yeah. team to to kind of loathe, though, Chris, right? They are a fun bunch, we'll say. They have a lot of different receivers to spread it around. makes them very dangerous. They still have Aaron Jones. When he's going right, he's still very dangerous. I think that people that are just gushing over Jordan Love Maybe I haven't been paying attention because the, the kid can play, and I didn't think he could. And guess what? Me and every other GM in the league, because when they dangled him and we're going to bring Rodgers back, nobody overpaid for him. But he could certainly play in this league. That's for sure. <clears throat> but I think the, the, the real crux of this is the defense. You know, you're going to look at the final score here, and you're going to see that Dallas put up 30 points. Dallas hit their team total over, everybody. Yes, yes, they did. Um uh, but the defense had laid off. Early on in that game, this defense was just aggressive. They told them, just go after them. Just go get them. Right? I mean, that was it. Just go crazy. Go get them. 
go do what you have to do and go make their life absolutely miserable. And they said, okay, let's go have fun. And you could see just by the the body language of the two teams, specifically the Green Bay defensive players, they were playing free. They were playing loose. They were having fun out there. And Dallas looked stiff. Dallas looked out of it. it it's kind of funny because the announcers continued to say early on, well, you don't really see that happening to Dallas, right? I mean, that, oh, that, all that, we're not used to that. Actually, that's nerves, right? I mean, that's really what it was. And it was uh, unusual. Dak missing, looking jittery in the pocket. Uh, the offensive line wasn't wasn't as good as they have been. There was just a lot of head-scratching situations there where you could feel all the pressure on Dallas's shoulders, and it just made them crumble. I mean, it really did. With that being said, the internet blew up immediately afterwards. Everybody's going crazy right afterwards, like we knew. Dak Prescott. They're putting the blame on him. Look, I know Dak didn't have his best game, clearly. Okay? Dak didn't look good for most of the game, clearly. Cowboys still put up 32 points, right? I I know a lot of it was in in mop-up time. I get it. Dak still put up numbers. Threw for 403, still put up numbers. Had three touchdowns, still put up numbers. Yes, he had two interceptions, big mistakes. But did Dak lose that game? Was Was it all on Dak? No, he wasn't good. But I wouldn't say Dak was a disaster. He had a bad game. I don't know if Dak really hurt his stock or helped his stock in my mind. I never thought Dak was a guy that could go out there and win a Super Bowl. I never thought that Dallas was a serious Super Bowl contender before the year began. So, I mean, I I look at this and I go, I think people are making too much about what Dak Prescott may not have done tonight. He's not getting out of town. There's not going to be a new quarterback in Dallas. There might be a new head coach. I mean, there will be a new head coach. But, I, I don't think Dak is the problem. I also certainly don't think he's the solution. So, Tommy, thinking about that, though, right? Because if we want to kind of look at it and maybe assign percentages of, of you know, of, uh, you know, what percentage of uh, is the reason why the Dallas Cowboys lost this football game. I'm not assigning Dak Prescott the most percentage on this. I'm absolutely, positively, Tommy Barton, assigning the most to the Dallas Cowboys defense. This is one of the best defenses in the NFL all season long, and they went out there and played atrociously, right? And look, I get it. We got to give credit to Love because Glove had a great game. You got to give credit to Aaron Jones and to Wicks and to Musgrave and these guys without question. But, uh, you know, uh, and look. There also is, you know, it was a situation also where the Green Bay Packers, you got to give credit to some of the defensive players, right? I mean, Jar Alexander was injured. The guy makes a big pick there in the in the first half. That was key for them. And, of course, Donnell Savage had, had that, uh, you know, 64-yard pick six that made it 27 to nothing for Green Bay. So, yes, there were aspects that from a Green Bay defensive standpoint that you're going to give them credit for winning this football game. But I'm not going to sit back and say Dak is the reason, that their main reason why – they lost this football game. It was absolutely on the defense for the Dallas Cowboys. And when you've got superstars on that side of the football like they do, and you're in a playoff game like this where you're expected to win, you got to step your game up. And that just wasn't the case. And, uh, you know, to kind of flip back onto uh, the positivity and, the you know, the waxing polarity that we're doing on the Green Bay Packer offense, 
it's right and, and rightfully so right i mean you had you know josh myers the center talking about how uh, i mean he wasn't even blocking somebody in that fourth town touchdown pass to romeo Dobbs because he was just watching how majestic the pass was from from love to to, to romeo in that in that spot on that fourth down i mean it's it was it was a combination of the packers offense playing lights out and the dallas defense absolutely positively underperforming and I thought that was the biggest, that was the biggest key as to why the Green Bay Packers were able to get this win against Dallas tonight. Chris, did Jordan Love win this, or did Dak Prescott lose it? Uh, Jordan, I think Jordan. I, I, you got to you got to look at it like Love won the game, right? I mean, I, I I would look at it like this. It's more about what Green Bay was able to do than what Dallas offensive players were not able to do, right? So I, I kind of look at it like that, and it kind of leads me, and you you kind of. Hinted at it here on the back end of your take regarding this football game. So I got to get it from you, Tommy. I got to hear what you have to say. Your thoughts regarding what is about to happen with the Dallas Cowboys. Because obviously, from a coaching standpoint, they're probably going to be going in another direction. I would expect that uh, when it comes to the front office, there's going to be some changes as well. And there just happens to be an owner. It's Jerry Jones in Jerry Dallas, Jones Tommy, Dallas, Tommy, who likes to make big likes splashes. Make splashes. He likes to make some, he noise. Make some noise. He likes to, you know, uh, uh, you know, get a lot of chatter around, around his football, around his team, football without team, team without question. And by the way, this is a Dallas Cowboys, Cowboys team that hasn't uh, hasn't really, uh, uh, obviously, hasn't won a Super Bowl since the mid '90s. But they haven't really been uh, a team that's really threatened for a Super Bowl in the last twenty something years. What about that guy, about that, guy that just, that just uh, ended up uh, leaving you know, New, England? New England? Do you think that's, you a, possibility, think that's a possibility, Tommy Barton, Tommy Barton that, uh, that, that Jerry that Jones Jerry could make a, make a splash and go after, the, go hoodie after the hoodie to be the coach, be the in, coach Dallas. in Dallas? Chris, you must have been reading my tweets. Because at the half, I said <laughs> Belichick is going to be the next coach. I, I think, look, it, it, it just makes too much sense. Um Jerry Jones needs one more championship in his mind. He needs one more before he passes on, we'll say, right? Yeah. I, he yeah. he feels like his time is clicking, ticking away. He feels, look, I, I need it. He can't revamp the roster. Dak is not young, but he's not old. Can't revamp that. Can't revamp your running backs. You got CD Lamb. You, you can't, can't do an overhaul shift. Bill Belichick, while a, a genius in many areas, He's a guy that, look, you have to look at him and say he needs a team in place. I don't think he's going to be around to build a new young team. So he wants to walk in to a winnable situation, walk into a situation where I could get my most wins ever. I could be there. He understands legacy of football. He understands that he will have a quarterback. You might not like him, but Dak is fine. He's got a, a Running back, he could ride. He's got receivers. He's got a defense. I mean, it's a match made in heaven. It really is. I think there's yeah. no way Mike McCarthy's coming back. I, you can't sell that to the fans any longer. Mike McCarthy will be gone. They will point directly to this as the reason to get rid of Mike McCarthy, who I don't think is a bad coach, but I don't think is a good coach, right? That There's a lot of that in the middle. Bill Belichick to Dallas. He looks at the schedule next year. He looks at the team around him, and he says – if Mike McCarthy could go out there and get 10-11 wins, that's all I need to set the all-time mark. I set the all-time mark. Now I could get into the playoffs with this team. 
I'm in a division where the Giants are reeling. They don't have a quarterback. They're kind of a mess. I'm in a division where Washington is starting the complete rebuild. I'm in a division with the Philadelphia Eagles who are screaming at each other, and they're not even sure if Jalen Hurts is the guy. There's a lot of chatter on WIP. Yeah, I'll give a little, little shout-out. In Philadelphia there, there's a lot of chatter that Nick Sirianni might not make it out of tomorrow night's game. They might fire him, right? So there's all kinds of turmoil. I hear Belichick to San Diego, well, Los Angeles Chargers, and you go, you think Belichick wants to go into the division with Patrick Mahomes, with Sean Payton? Uh, no, absolutely not. Well, you know what? Belichick might go there and he might go there. Yeah, he might, but the East is winnable. He knows the East Coast. Remember, it's a real-life guy, right? It, he, yeah. he understands yeah. that. So he's going to be back. I know Dallas isn't in the East Coast, but he's going to be back to play these teams. He's going to be back in that area. He could probably keep his house there. It's not that big of a jump. And Dallas, at the end of the day, the number one factor here, Chris, they're going to pay him more than anybody else. Dallas will pay Belichick yeah. more than the Chargers will. You know, get Dallas is going to pay Belichick more than Atlanta will. Dallas will pay. It's a perfect match. I expect Mike McCarthy to get fired very quickly here. And I expect Belichick, probably before the Super Bowl, to be named the head coach. Tommy, let me bounce a couple of these uh, extraordinary numbers off you from this Green Bay-Dallas game. Packers, first seven seed to win a playoff game and move to 6-0 and all time at AT&T Stadium. Five of those wins against the Dallas Cowboys. Tommy Barton, one against the Pittsburgh Steelers in Super Bowl 45. Uh, tying, by the way, the Seattle Seahawks and Atlanta Falcons with the most wins by any team without a loss or a tie at a single stadium all time. Meantime, Mr. Barton, the Cowboys become the first top two seed not to reach the divisional round since seeding started back in 1975. The Cowboys were a seven-point favorite, seven and a half in some spots around town. It's the third time since 1990. 98 that they have been at least a seven-point favorite in the playoffs. Cowboys have lost all three times. Another bad stat for the Dallas Cowboys. They're the first team, Tommy, to win 12 games in three straight seasons and not make it to the conference championship game in any of those seasons at all. And uh, the Packers offense, from an offensive standpoint, they score obviously 48 points in this game, ties for the most ever in a playoff game that they've ever scored back in 2010 against the Falcons in the NFC Divisional round. They scored 48 points exactly. It's also the first time the Cowboys have ever allowed 40 points in a playoff game. And the Packers were the first team, Tommy, with three passing and rushing touchdowns each in a playoff game since the Patriots did it back in 2014 in the AFC championship game. So some uh, some eye-opening numbers, my friend, when it comes to that tilt between Green Bay and Dallas today. Yeah, it really was. I mean, Green Bay put on a clinic. Uh, they really did. Um, what's your take on Jordan Love? I, I got in the car after the game, and look, we know Green Bay fans can be irrational. <laughs> we know that. Being Bears <laughs> and Lions fans, we certainly know that. Uh, but I turn on the radio, and I hear not a not a caller. I hear an actual broadcaster say, well, there was Favre championship and decades of success. There was Rodgers championship, decades of success. Jordan Love is the next guy. We're going to have 10, 15 years and more championships. And I'm like, you guys wanted to run him out of town a couple of games ago. I, I'm not ready for that, Chris. I think he had a good game. I think he's got a lot of weapons. 
I think he has a great head coach to cultivate him. I don't see MVP in Jordan Love. I don't see Super Bowl champion in Jordan Love. But as a Bears fan, I'm nervous having him in my division. Yeah, what's interesting, right, Tommy, is that you're a Bears fan. I'm a Lions fan. So we've had a chance to kind of see throughout our lifetimes, you know, kind of the progression of of what quarterbacking is in the NFC Central, which became the NFC North, right? And the Packers have been kind of consistency, obviously, when you have the likes of Brett Favre and, you know, Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback. That's going to, that's going to, uh, that's going to alleviate a lot of problems. Let's put it that way. Um, I don't think that Jordan Love is either one of those guys, but I also don't think he's Don Mikowski either, right? I guess I'll expand on that by saying this. Look, we don't have a huge uh sample size when it comes to Jordan Love. It was his first playoff start, right? He throws for what, you know, two seventy two and three touchdowns. He ends up with a you know a passer rating uh that ties him with CJ Stroud, by the way, for the third highest in NFL postseason history. Um but you gotta like what he does when it comes to his pressures, right? When he was pressured in this game today, he was seven of eight for 162 and two touchdowns. And uh he's the first quarterback ever uh in a playoff or you know excuse me first uh, quarterback to post a 99 QBR in a playoff game since the metric started back in 2006 so those are positive things right those are things that you look to build on if you're a quarterback in this league and your love uh i mean that being said i mean there look there was some uh rationale for thinking that he was not going to be necessarily the the uh the right guy for the packers right you know going back to even even into this season right obviously they've been a team that's been red hot down the stretch and uh they played really well but it, it's not some look it, i'm not going to look at it like this right you Tommy, myself, or anybody else that, you know, had the opinion that he might not be the guy. I don't think that we were completely just way off base on it, right? And, uh, you know, but but I did say at the top of the show, obviously, I pointed out that I thought that was wrong when it came to him being a franchise guy. I think he's a franchise quarterback. Do I think that he's an all-pro quarterback? No. Do I think that he's a quarterback that can necessarily lead them to a Super Bowl? I don't know yet, and probably not. But I do think that he is a, a guy that can be absolutely serviceable and and maybe can make a Pro Bowl or two in his career. But I'm not going to sit here and act like he's, you know, the next Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre or Andrew Luck or, you know, or Pat Mahomes. I'm not even I'm not going down that road. But but he is a guy that can absolutely produce, I think, in the NFL. And, uh, and uh, this is certainly a good way to start it when it comes to your playoff career, coming out with a performance like that against the Dallas Cowboys. Chris, let's take our, our time out at the top of the break here. Um, yep. We'll come back. I, you mentioned C.J. Stroud. I want your opinions on him. The games that played yesterday, uh, is Miami soft or were they just cold? <laughs> is two of the guy, <laughs> because it's time for Miami to make that decision, but I really want to preview tomorrow's game. We have two games it's a great situation, middle-of-the-day game, and then the night game. It's going to be fantastic. I think Philly-Tampa Bay has an opportunity to be one of these classic games. Buffalo, double-digit favorite over Pittsburgh in what only anybody could explain as just Arctic Buffalo and Orchard Park. We'll talk about all that. Hour number two coming up right after this, right here on Heatwave Sports. Now back to Heatwave Sports. All right, guys, hour number two, Heat Wave Sports. Welcome back, Las Vegas. 
Go check us out. I am Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com. He is Chris Wynn, Christian Wynn over on Twitter. And uh, we are going to start getting into the games tomorrow. <laughs> Maybe, if there are games tomorrow, because I just sent Chris video of right now, uh, 34 seconds ago, video in Buffalo where I don't think the word blizzard does it justice, Chris. I'm not sure. It, it is just outside of uh, Orchard Park is the second one, right? The second video I sent you. Um, and, and anybody that wants to go check it out, uh, I'm going to just repost the video over on Twitter. So that's Tom Barton Sports, by the way. Uh, it, it's right outside Orchard Park, three to four inches an hour for the last few hours. There's a brand new foot of snow. Here's the thing. It's not supposed to stop tonight. It's not supposed to stop tonight. So during the break, Chris said to me, you know, they're still playing the game, right? Because there was talk about moving it. I said, yeah, as far as I have heard, they're still playing the game. I just don't know how. Look, I was one of the guys that said, hey, let's play it, right? Let's play the game. I love cold weather games. I love the, the, the weather. I love the snow. I love it, man. I do. And I get it. I get why they canceled it. I think that Kathy Hockill is very easily the worst governor in the history of this country. Um, she is a disaster. Everything she touches is horrible. There's not a person I know that likes her. Okay? But I'm agreeing with her here, Chris. Like, you know, it's for the safety. And it's not only just, you know, people like, oh, the players. Are, yeah. But, you know, you have people drinking in the parking lot for good or for bad, but you do. You have just the idea of getting to the game. It's just bad news. I want to play in this weather. I think that the football should never, I don't think anybody should have a dome. I don't think anybody should have artificial turf. I am the old man yelling at the crowd, and I'm going, look, I get why she canceled it. I get why they canceled it. And here's the thing, Chris. I would understand if they had to do it again. It stinks for the Bills because they're going to get screwed on the rest for the next, you know, next week. It, it stinks for football fans not having it on tomorrow. I get all that. What I'm watching right now, it is stunning to me that it, the, the field will be ready in 12 hours. I can't even imagine that people could leave their house in 12 hours, Chris. Yeah, a couple of things, yeah, Tommy. So, things, look, Tommy, there's so the perspective that we can give regarding the game, right, and actually playing the football game. There's no problem there, right? You, It's snowing. I don't care if there's 10 feet of snow on the ground. You go out there and you play football, right, because it's football, and snow can be part of it. It can be, it can be just part of the actual gameplay and how the, you know, and how the scenario presents itself. Then there is the, you know, the public, right? And then there is the transportation. And then there is, is it, is it okay for, is it, is it okay for the greater good of the citizens of Buffalo and beyond that are trying to get to the game? And is it safe, right? That is the thing that, that you just addressed and that I'm talking about. That is an issue, right? And that should be the, and by the way, and by the way, that should be the most important the thing, most important right? Thing. Is people getting to the game and from the game, from the game safely, safely and whether or not, you know, or not, it, it is know, safe for the fans to even the be fans there, even right? There. Like in the, right. Stands. In the stands, if it's a situation, situation where there is extreme cold temperatures cold that, temperatures uh, you know, that people could end up succumbing to that could be, you know, potentially bad from a health standpoint. So that is the most important thing. And that's why I concur with you. I, I, 
to be honest with you, I'm actually kind of surprised that they're not moving this game to Tuesday. Now, as of right now, as you pointed out, you sent me some of the video, and uh, we've been bouncing around social media a little bit. There has been no change as far as the Bills-Steelers game getting moved to Tuesday. So um, right now they're planning on playing the game tomorrow. I don't know if that necessarily is in the best interest of the citizens of Buffalo as far as getting to the football game. So uh, it can be problematic without question. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, when it came – as far as playing the game, uh, for the players on the field, as long as they're safe and they're not going to, you know, freeze to death or get frostbite, then uh, then I'd have no problem with it. But it, it's just about the uh, – uh, you know, a situation, it was just a matter of what, a year ago, Tommy, where 50 people, I believe, died in a blizzard there in Buffalo just a year ago in 2022, 23. So uh, those those are the people that you need to be looking out for in this in this type of uh, situation. And look, we understand how important sports is to all of us. And uh, and uh, and and we get it when it comes to how, you know, how big football is in our life. But uh uh, if, it, if, it, if it starts to infringe starts on the safety of just citizens getting to the football game, then I have a real problem. Then I have a real problem. Yeah, it, it, it's something where it, it shouldn't have been a question. You know, and I saw everybody, come on, real football. I was, I'm the same way. Let's play in some snow. And then you actually yeah. see it, <laughs> right? And you go, oh, yeah, no, no, no. This isn't snow, man. This, this goes well beyond what's going on there. So, Chris – I, I'm on the fence here with even breaking the game down because we don't know when it's going to be played. I gave my free pick to Tim on Friday, and my free pick to Tim on Friday was the over in the Buffalo game because I wanted to try to capitalize on the middle. And it was 32 or 33. It's up to 38 now. Um, sportsbooks, if you got them early on, they're going to honor your ticket and not void anything out. Uh, if they're played within seven days of each other. So I guess my free pick even has to stay. I'm not happy about it. But what we have to do here, Chris, is we got to break this game down as if it is being played. If it's being played on Tuesday, clearly a different breakdown. But I don't know if it's drastically that different. Look, here's the reality for me. The Buffalo Bills are playing the best football of anybody maybe not named the Baltimore Ravens, right? They are really, really exciting right now. Mason Rudolph would be playing, what, his third game this year on the road in some kind of bad weather conditions, maybe extreme bad weather conditions. The Pittsburgh Steelers can run the ball. Yes, they certainly can. But the loss of T.J. Watt is enormous. The Steelers are only 1-10 in 10 without T.J. Watt. He adds such an element to their team. Uh, as you guys know, I used to do a lot of work in Pittsburgh, and I talked to a lot of the, the, the guys from Pittsburgh still that are very close with the team. Emotionally, it's just not there when he's not there. So forget about even scheming, which is huge. You also mentioned, oh, by the way, their number one defensive back probably would have missed this game if it was played on Saturday. So, yeah, he'll probably give it a go. He's not 100% either. The Buffalo Bills, I don't think, get a huge advantage because of the snow. People going, oh, they get an advantage. I don't think they get a huge advantage. They're a team that wants to fling the ball downfield. But one advantage they do have is we all remember where Josh Allen played his college ball, right? Wyoming. He's got one of the best arms in the game. So he's going to be able to cut through the wind. I don't think he's going 50 yards downfield to you know, Shakir or Diggs, but he'll have no problem throwing it 17 to 20 yards to a Kincaid or a big target. 
where Mason Rudolph might have problems with that. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying, I think the Bills were going to win the game if it was played in a beautiful tropical environment. I think the Bills were going to win this game if it's played in this igloo. But there's a little less certainty for me because anything can happen inside a monsoon, right? I mean, you know, anything can happen inside a blizzard, and it really can. The 10 points is intriguing. I'm not sure Pittsburgh scores if it's as bad as this, but I don't know if the Bills can really sit back and say, yeah, we're going to score either. It's, it's a weird spot. I think the Bills win the game because their quarterback could lead the way. He could just run over people. He could be the running game, not even use James Cook. But I like the fact that they have James Cook. I like the fact that they have Leonard Fournette. And I like the fact that they have a very big Josh Allen back there. When you're talking about Pittsburgh, it's just too much to ask them with Mason Rudolph and no TJ Watt and a banged up defensive backfield to go into Buffalo in any conditions and win the game. I have Buffalo winning, but I don't like laying the 10. You know what's intriguing, Tommy, is that both of these teams were essentially left for dead just over about a month ago into the season. We have our uh, resident Super Buffalo Bill fan and uh, Heat Wave Sports Super fan, Matt Visca, who is, you know, all kinds of Buffalo Bills all the time. And uh, I actually, Tommy, uh, picked the Buffalo Bills to go to the Super Bowl to start the season. And I was already writing these guys off when it came to November rolling around when they had that game uh, in which they lost to the Eagles back on, what, November 26th, I think it was, where they lost that game 37-34. And I said, oh, this is, it's, a, it's a signed, sealed, and delivered. Buffalo's season essentially is over. And both these teams uh, were just uh, excellent down the stretch. The Pittsburgh Steelers, of course, clinching the uh, AFC 7th and uh, final playoff berth on the final weekend of the season of the Bills. Uh, you know, all they did was win their final five games, right, to clinch their four straight AFC East title and then uh, get the conference's number two seed with that win over Miami. So, I mean, look, from a talent standpoint, make no mistake, the Buffalo Bills are right there with any team in the AFC, and I think that includes the Baltimore Ravens. But, uh, yeah, as you pointed out, when you have circumstances presenting themselves like this game where it's going to be essentially a blizzard slash, uh, you know, times ten, and there's just an uncertainty going into it, it's really tough to kind of make a call here on this game. Now, look, the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, you know, Buffalo's the hottest team uh, heading into the playoffs, period. All right, and uh, the Steelers, you know, basically had a three-game skid, right, before winning their final three games, including that uh, 17-10 win over the Ravens, who, you know, sat everybody and their brother in that game because they already had the AFC's top seed clinch. So, um um, you know, and and the and run, by the way, by Pittsburgh, by Pittsburgh coincides with Mason Rudolph taking over for Kenny Pickett Kenny at quarterback there. So, um, you know, th- this is a guy, Mason Rudolph, who's got what ten career starts entering the season, and he ends up being kind of a a real guy that settled down this offense. Uh, you know, basically had you know over seven hundred yards passing, of three touchdowns, and no picks in their three wins that they had at the end of the year there. So. You'd like the ground game like the ground with Pittsburgh game. with Najee Harris, obviously, and Jalen Warren, Warren combining for, uh, you know, over 400 yards rushing and five TDs during those games. And, uh, and, uh, and you know, and Rudolph, who's essentially coming into his prime years. I'm not going to call him, say he's coming into his prime as some great quarterback, but he is 8-4-1 and four and one as an NFL starter. 
so I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and put it past Pittsburgh to you know pull an upset in this game, given again. Given the weather Given circumstances the weather that are that that, uh, that uh, are transpiring here, and you have a Pittsburgh here, defense that has something to prove, so, so. Um, again, it's so again, tough it's so to kind of to kind of. To kind of break this game down, for you know, given given what's about to happen uh, and what's continued to happen at least for the last you know forty eight hours in in the Buffalo area, but uh, I still want to believe, Tommy. I still want to believe. That the Buffalo Bills are are one of the top two or three teams in the AFC and should be able to handle themselves against the likes of the Pittsburgh Steelers tomorrow afternoon. You know, Pittsburgh's an interesting team. Um, real quick, I, I just want to. You know, throw throw something on them because we are going to talk about Buffalo and everyone's talking about Buffalo and their miraculous comeback. But and and what they did and you said left for dead by everybody but me, by the way. But left for dead and every yeah. yeah. What about Pittsburgh? Three years in a row now, the Pittsburgh Steelers have um, the Vegas preseason lines had them to go under five hundred. Something that Mike Tomlin has never done. Three years in a row, Mike Tomlin has lifted this team up despite injuries all over the field, Mike Tomlin has seemingly found a way. Quarterback play has not been great. Running back play has been sporadic. Defensive injuries all the time. Somehow, Mike Tomlin has gotten them back to the playoffs. Somehow, Mike Tomlin's record still sits at no losing seasons ever. Still, somehow. And we're not talking about Pittsburgh. We're not talking about a team that all of a sudden, Najee Harris, since they switched offensive coordinators, has been a workhorse. Remember, he was a highly drafted pick and had a great rookie season. We're not talking about Jalen Warren. We're not talking about Pickens. We're not talking about this Steelers team in the same light that we talked about the Rams. We're not talking about the Steelers in the same light that we talked about the Bucks. We're not talking about them certainly in the same light that we talked about the Buffalo Bills and their, what they did at the end of the year to kind of get here. I don't think Pittsburgh wins tomorrow. I don't. But if they do... Would you be that shocked that Mike Tomlin won a bad game in rough conditions with a good running game? I mean, that speaks Pittsburgh all day long. That screams Pittsburgh. So I don't think they win, Chris, but I wanted to give them two minutes because they are here and they did it. And Tomlin did it again. And if they do upset Buffalo in those conditions, Tomlin's the kind of guy that wouldn't shock me if he did it. Makes a lot of sense, Tommy. I'm picking up what you're putting down, but let me make another quick point, too, about this Pittsburgh Steelers team from a defensive standpoint, right? The Steelers are going to have to find a way to make Josh Allen uncomfortable in the pocket in this game tomorrow, right? All things considered, not whether, whether or not even just, just throwing the weather out, out the window. Just from a you know from a strategy standpoint, you're talking about uh, you know a Pittsburgh defense that's going to have to do it without T.J. Watt, right? The guy's the NFL sack leader. He's a defensive player of the year candidate. He's got this left knee injury that he that he sustained you know against the Ravens in that season finale. And so you're going to need guys like Nate Herbig, right? You're going to need guys like Marcus Golden to step up and fill that void for one of the you know one of the one of the most electrifying players in the NFL. So. Um, Look, the, it, in those guys' defense, I mean, both Herbig and Golden have combined for seven sacks this season. But, uh, you know, when you're talking about T.J. Watt, the guy's got an NFL high 19. So, um, you know, defensively, they're just going to have to come up huge in this game if Pitts were going to find a way to win. Um, interesting note, too, both these coaches, you know, Sean McDermott as well as uh, Mike Tomlin, uh, 
They were both college uh, teammates both at William and Mary, Tom Mary, Parton, Tom back Martin, in 1993 and 94, right? <laughs> McDermott, I think he's uh, a couple of years younger than Mike Tomlin, but they both played together at uh, that, that football powerhouse, Mr. Barton, of William and Mary has produced uh, the, the, the top head coaches in this tilt between the Bills and the Steelers. <laughs> hey, it's kind of funny. I went to... Uh, I went to a baseball factory high school. You know, what I mean, we, we yeah. it really was. I'm not, I'm not, you know, throwing it out there for, for you know, the East Coast and specifically like New York. It was a battle. Levittown high schools were, were just ridiculous, you know. And I went to a school with the best left-handed pitcher I ever saw. Uh, this kid named Randy Leak that went to William and Mary. We thought he was definitely going pro, but he was a really smart kid, like really, really smart. You know, honors yeah. classes and everything else. So he chose William and Mary. And now you're talking about, you know, two head coaches. I'm like, yeah, because they were smart, you know, <laughs> they were, they were brilliant. William and Mary is one of those. It's not quite Ivy league, but man, it was a smart school. Um, Chris, let's talk about the other game. Okay. It, this is not getting, I, I talked about Pittsburgh, not getting any love. This is the Monday night football game. It always was. It wasn't moved. It was the highlight game. According to uh, somebody in TV, right. That said, <laughs> we want this game. Um, it's not getting talked about. And besides not even getting talked about, both of these teams are already out in the next round, according to most people. And I look at both, I see major flaws. But Chris, I see a lot of dangerous spots for them both also, in a good way. Baker Mayfield has a lot of flaws. Baker Mayfield also plays a style that, a football that really, really can drive people crazy. Because you almost get him and he makes that quick pass. Mike Evans had a such an underrated year. You look at a guy like Kate Otten, the, the Philadelphia Eagles. You guys want a prop play out there. Kate Otten over yards, over receptions tomorrow. The Philadelphia Eagles are the fourth worst team in the NFL defending the tight end. There you go. I mean, that's a Baker Mayfield type of game. Look at Rasheed White. Anybody that plays fantasy football knows what he did late in the season. Um, turning around and becoming, dare I say, a workhorse running back. This team had the talent. Before the year began, I told you they were a team that I thought could win this division because they still had all the talent there. It was the offensive line that just had too many injuries. Now, we saw that in the first eight or nine weeks. Their injuries to the offensive line were devastating, Chris. I mean, just absolutely devastating. But offensive lines, if you guys know anything about offensive line play, the longer you're with the same three, four, five guys, the better it gets. And we watched after week eight or nine, them get better and better and gel and get better and get better. And then they started playing within themselves. I love what the Bucs did. The one stat I continued to throw out all year long on the defensive side for them was that for most of the year, while Levante David and Devin White, who might be the best one-two linebacker combination in the league, when they were healthy, up until the game where they started getting banged up, they had the number one red zone defense. Number one in the entire league. Nobody was paying attention. They also get pressure rate in the top 10%. Yeah, that's pretty good too. So you go, yeah, Tampa Bay is really, really dangerous. You could say they're lucky to be here in a weak division and everything else. They're a dangerous team. And then you have Philly. All the negative is there, right? Infighting, problems. Jalen Hurts can't grip a football. I mean, it's all there. A.J. Brown will miss this game. 
Philly is falling apart at the seams. Like I said, literally, there's conversation. Does Nick Sirianni, remember where he was this time last year uh, and (laughs) for the Super Bowl last year, does Nick Sirianni get fired? I mean, that's really the conversation that's being happened. Uh, Going on, does Jalen Hurts lose his job? Should we get rid of him and get a new quarterback? This is reactionary. Philly fans, sure, but it tells you how bad they feel like they've spiraled out of control. Their defense can't stop anybody and have always had problems with short, over-the-middle type of passes. That's what Tampa Bay does well. But Philly also has explosiveness. They also have guys that in the first meeting between these two teams, 25-11 to victory in Tampa Bay by Philly, they just let Baker Mayfield have it. He was on his back constantly. Yeah, that is still there. Those core defensive linemen are certainly still there. And then you look at the offense. Yes, losing A.J. Brown is a problem. But they didn't need him in the first game because all they did was run, 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 and run some more. And while Jalen Hurts might not be able to grip a football, I can bet you he's going to be running tomorrow. And you look at these two teams, and they're both teams that I say, look, they're massively flawed. No one thinks they really have a run at them to get to San Francisco. No one really thinks that these two teams are going to be playing in a Super Bowl. But I see it. I see what can propel them there. I see the attributes that can get them there. I think tomorrow's game is going to be fantastic because it's one of the few games that, look, I didn't think Green Bay was going to win, but that kind of came out of nowhere. I'm going into this game tomorrow going, I have no idea. I think Tampa probably wins because of what's going on with Philly, but I really don't know. It is a total guesswork on my part. Who shows up? Who's going to be there? Who can move on? I think it's going to be a great game, Chris. If any team, Tom Barton, that was stumbling, rumbling, and bumbling into the 2023-24 playoffs, it was the Philadelphia Eagles, right? I mean, there's a team that was, at one point, you were thinking, okay, absolutely could be a number two seed in the NFC, and then, you know, all of a sudden now they're, you know, on the road in a playoff game to, to, to start off the playoffs. So uh, it's been a rough go for Philadelphia here lately. Without question. You talked about the injury situation. Obviously, A.J. Brown is a huge loss for the Philadelphia Eagles from an offensive standpoint. Um, The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, look, I mean, this is a team uh, with Baker Mayfield. He's kind of been able to rejuvenate his career right there, replacing Tom Brady in Philadelphia. Uh, A guy, when you're you're talking about Baker Mayfield, right, the last time he was in the playoffs was, what, 2020 with the Cleveland Browns, and he's kind of made the most of his opportunity there. He's He's been a guy who's kind of minimized the costly turnovers that hindered him in his stops with the Cleveland, with the Carolina, and Los Angeles as well, too, with the Rams. Uh, it's also nice to have, you know, the likes of uh, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin uh, you know, at, at the wide receiver position. But uh, it's going to be a huge – it's going to be a, an intriguing matchup, to say the least, to see the uh, – the the uh, secondary of Philadelphia, right? And you're talking about Darius Slay. We're talking about James Bradbury going up against the likes of Evans and Goodwin, and uh, what it, what exactly Philadelphia can do. The Buccaneers are absolutely going to be looking to put the nail in the coffin of, of Philadelphia's tumultuous uh, run down the stretch here of a season for the Eagles. And uh, I mean, this is a we do have the uh, head-to-head matchup between these two teams back in late September, right, where the uh, Eagles were able to get the uh, 14-point win over Tampa Bay uh, down there in Florida in that uh, 25 to 11 win. But doesn't, Tommy, doesn't it just seem like it was like 
five years ago that that game took place when it comes to the Eagles. I mean, that's that's kind of the way that I feel when you talk about this. Now, the injury situation, as you pointed out, about A.J. Brown, uh, yeah, we get that. Um, there, But there are also those other guys that are banged up as well, too, for Philadelphia. Now, look, uh, while they were on the on the uh, actual injury front uh, when it came to uh, uh, Devontae Smith and Reed Blankenship and DeAndre Swift as well as Darius Slay, all those guys except for A.J. Brown are, are expected to play in this game. Um, Tampa Bay, as far as uh, Mayfield with his ribs and ankles, he should be fine. And you've got uh, Tristan Wurst who's dealing, I guess, with an injury. Uh, their left tackle, or excuse me, with an illness. So that, that may be an issue. But uh, Todd Bowles is very confident those guys should be able to go. So, um, look, I, again, this is we talked about uh, the uncertainty when it comes to this Buffalo Bills-Pittsburgh Steeler game. Uh I, I was very hesitant, right, Tommy, when we had our best bets of the week weekend that uh, you, myself, Tim, and uh, even our, our guest uh, our guest picker in Matt Visca had out there. I was very, 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 very hesitant on the Philadelphia Eagles laying the three points. I'm still going to stick with it, and I still think that Philadelphia finds a way to win this football game. But uh, out of all the playoff games that transpired over this weekend, Tommy, this is the one that I'm the, the least confident about is the way I'll say it when it comes to the Eagles taking on the Bucks. Yeah, I, I look at the Eagles as a team that obviously is a problem. Um, they have locker room issues, head coach questions quarterback questions, leadership questions. But they're also a team that I feel like is one gelling game away from going, uh-oh, oh, these are these are still the Eagles. And I feel a lot about the Tampa Bay Bucks in the opposite way. To me, the Bucks are absolutely just getting by on, on gelling and loving their head coach and loving their quarterback. And everything is clicking right now. It's two completely different versions of each other which makes it for such an intriguing matchup for me. Um, I, look, you gave out the Eagles. I'm not going against you. I'm telling you, I kind of like the Bucks, but geez, flip a coin a hundred times, you know, <laughs> 51, 49, one way or the other for me. Yeah, think about it, right, Tommy? A couple quick notes, right? You think about with, with Philadelphia, obviously, you know, uh, Riddick is a guy who's had a, had a great season, you know, 11 sacks, 13 tackles for loss. He's going to be a huge key. For Philadelphia, but Tampa Bay has guys on the defensive side also that have been absolutely monster contributors. When you're talking about Cancy and uh, and Diaby, you know, a, a ton of tackles for loss, a ton of quarterback hits, and you know, almost 12 sacks between those two guys. And then Antoine Winfield, right? Big time season for him. You're talking about the you know the NFC Defensive Player of the Month for December and January. And uh, you know he's one of when you're talking about Winfield, he's one of four guys, Tommy, since 2000 who have five plus sacks, five plus takeaways, five plus fourth fumbles in the same season. The other guys mentioned in that group: T.J. Watt, Justin Tuck, and Terrell Suggs. So those are pretty uh, esteemed names to be mentioned uh, alongside when we're talking about him. So defensively, both these teams are going to have uh, key factors on both ends. I just think that uh, Philadelphia, to me, from an offense. Standpoint, standpoint is just much more explosive much than Tampa, more Bay. Tampa Bay. All right, Chris. So we broke down tomorrow's games. We went over tonight's games. Well, we have a, about a half hour left of the show. We're going to take a quick timeout. Come on back. I got to get your opinion on Tua. What's going on with Kansas City? Are they ready to make a run or was that kind of fluky? And, you know, the, the absolute beatdown that we did have yesterday as well. 
Uh, you know, well, how far back does that sort of set Miami in the, the, the grand scheme of things? Plus, are you ready to buy into C.J. Stroud? Are you ready to buy into him on a massive level? I don't mean just a playoff win. I mean bigger things. All that and more right after this, guys, right here on Heatwave Sports. All right, guys, welcome back. Finishing off the hour here, Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com and Chris Wynn. We are talking all NFL playoffs, all wild card weekend here. We've gone through the games that went on today. Gone through the games that are going to go on tomorrow. But Chris, there are a couple games played yesterday I want to get your opinion on. Um, first and foremost, Kansas City beats up on Miami. The final score might not show it, but look, they really did beat up on them. It was bad weather. We, we're going to just be inundated by how much the weather and the cracked helmet and the dancing, uh, you know, Mrs. Kelsey and Taylor Swift. But but that got past the idea that the Miami Dolphins look soft. They didn't look soft because of the weather. They look soft. Isaiah Pacheco was running all over them. They were in just absolutely lowering their head and, and just pushing this team around and punishing them. With that being said, I'm looking at them and I'm saying they were missing six defensive starters. Six. They were missing two edge rushers, their star safety, their star cornerback, Xavier Howard, who's been on the team forever. That'll take a toll on the team. So my attention has to turn to the offense. And the offense that is all being blamed on Tua. Tua missed some easy throws. Yes, he did. But this is a team that was running really well for most of the year. Decided to abandon the run. There was a, a third down and one spot where they decided to throw the old 99. Anybody that knows the 99, that means the receiver takes one step back. You throw it to him, you hope that he can get a yard. Instead of just running up the middle, they were playing soft football. That's soft football. That's when you know a team is, is stronger than you, better than you, and they want to punch you in the face. Miami Dolphins all year long didn't play that style. We knew they were fast. We knew they were a finesse team. Greatest show in Miami and all that stuff. Um, but they played very, very soft. And two is getting the brunt of it today. And I'm saying, yeah, Tua might be limited. And yeah, you're going to have a pause where do you want to go pay Tua? I get that. But this was a Mike McDaniel problem. This was a Mike McDaniel problem not putting his players in the best position offensively to win. It was a Mike McDaniel problem that five or six times were obvious second-guess opportunities. It was a Mike McDaniel problem all night long. And if you're going to blame Tua... I think you have to blame Mike McDaniel as well, too, uh, uh, Chris. Yeah, if you're the Miami Dolphins, look, I mean, uh, it, it, this was a game, again, as you pointed out at the top here, as far as a weather game, it was uh, it was definitely a factor. Um, and I guess if, you, if you're a Miami Dolphin fan, right, Tommy, you're going you're gonna to bring that more into play than, than guys like yourself or me when it comes to talking about this game. But, uh, you know, with the exception of Tyreek Hill, you know, getting that big-time touchdown, what, in the, in the first half where he beats Trent McDuffie, the uh, all-poor corner on that long touchdown reception, it was just a struggle on offense for the Miami Dolphins. I mean, and, 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 and by the way, it was exactly the same thing right back in November, in January, when they lost that game 21 
14 to Kansas City in that game across the pond. And, I mean, if you want to win a football game in the playoffs against the likes of a team like the Kansas City Chiefs in their stadium, you got to be better than one for 12 on third down, right? don't you, Tommy? I mean, you have to. And you cannot be one for 12 on third down and then not put together a really a sustained drive until the fourth quarter and expect to win the game. And look, I've been on this, you know, this whole thing regarding Mike McDaniel, and I, I kind of was, you know, fascinated with his, you know, let's call it unorthodox, you know, kind of, you know, fly by the seat of my pants coaching style. He's the young guy that just kind of, you know, flippant, and he's got the personality and all that. But at some point, you have to have, uh, you know, some type of consistency uh, as a head coach, and you have to have some type of leadership ability and uh, maturity. And, uh, maturity. And I think that he does lack that, does that at that times. That at There's times. no question. There's no question. And, I'm and I'm not absolving Frank Smith as offense coordinator and Wes Welker and those guys, you know, who, who came over with him from San Francisco, San Francisco, San Francisco, San Francisco right? right? With, uh, with uh, uh, you know, uh, to, to be the offensive guys on that team. But, you know, it's, you know, offensively, you've got to be better. That's the bottom line in this situation. And they were not. Miami was just was just not good at all. Um, the Chiefs, it, it seemed to me, it felt like the Chiefs just did enough offensively to win this football game. Um, obviously, you like you like what you get. Uh, you know, they've been kind of. There's been this narrative in Kansas City since Tyreek Hill left that they got to find the next guy, right? That next wide receiver, that number one guy. And Rasheed Rice had a big time game, right? Eight catches, 130 yards, and a touchdown. You like what you got from Pacheco on the ground too, going for almost 90 yards and a touchdown there. But the big key was in this game was was the Chiefs' ability to shut down this prolific Miami offense. It really was, and uh, that was a big key as to why the Chiefs are moving on. And that the Miami Dolphins are kind of searching for answers now as they uh, they go into the offseason in 2024. Do they re-sign to it? Did they sign him to that big deal? They make him the guy. Injury history, problems, thought about even retiring. Now he fails in the playoffs, looked limited. Um, I thought it was a no-brainer. And I'm hearing a lot of chatter out of Miami. But they're seriously thinking about saying no. Yeah, it's a fair question, yeah, right, fair Tommy? Question, um, Tommy? Um, I, I, oh, when I think of Tua, though, I think of uh, uh, the opposite, where I think of the, the grass is not always greener on the other side. You know, I don't know uh, exactly if they want to just you know turn the page on him. There, there was just so many, there was so many moments throughout this entire season where you you got the impression that he is a franchise guy, that he is a a guy that can be someone who you can build your team around. And, uh, and uh, from an offense standpoint, an offense you, can, standpoint you, can you can be explosive week in and week out. And week now, obviously, that didn't, obviously uh, that didn't come to fruition uh, there in the playoff game against game Kansas City on Saturday. But Saturday. I still, I, 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 I guess what I'm trying to say in a long-winded way is that I still kind of believe in Tua. I really do. I still believe in him as a guy there at the quarterback position. Now, Tommy, you and I, we play fantasy football, so maybe I'm maybe I'm a little jaded by that because I'm, you know, I've had I've had had two in the Knicks for my fantasy team. But but that being said, I I still think that he is a guy that can be a big time quarterback in this league. So I I still think that's the direction that Miami should go. Last question about that game. Uh, let's talk about Mahomes and the offense for a minute. It, this has been a defense-first team in Kansas City all year long. It has been an Isaiah Pachenko team all year long. Finally, we started to see Rice kind of play a pivotal role. Lots of drops by Kelsey. And every time Kelsey drops a ball, the announcers say, we're not used to seeing that from Kelsey. And I'm going, yeah, we are. 
This year we are, right? I mean, this year, that that's exactly what I'm used to seeing with Travis Kelsey. Um, I, I think they're one and done. I, I don't care who they play next round. I don't see this being the, the Chiefs team that overcomes, the Chiefs team that could get by their deficiencies, the Chiefs team that is on Patrick Mahomes' back. You just look at this team, you see Mahomes is constantly arguing, fighting the officials, begging for flags. Kelsey doesn't look right. The defense is just going, come on, guys. And that's a weird spot for them to be in. I don't think this is Kansas City's year. I don't think this is a miraculous run. I think they got very lucky getting a reeling Miami team in like negative 30-degree temperatures. Yeah, when you look at this team from an offensive standpoint, there's definitely issues that they need to address. Uh, Make no mistake about it. Even though they did score on four of their six first-half drives, including that uh, touchdown pass to Mahomes through to Rice, you had some fizzling going on, right, Tommy, when it came to the red zone and this team and what ended up happening. Well, you had to have Butker, uh, you know, essentially have a trio of field goals to to help the Chiefs get that 16-3 lead. So this is not the explosive Kansas City Chiefs team that has won multiple Super Bowls. This is not, you know, uh, and look, I mean, you can state the obvious all day long until the cows come home, that they don't have Tyreek Hill anymore, that they don't necessarily have some big-time running back that, that can be a bell cow that you can lean on. Uh, I still uh, think that still Patrick, think Mahomes Patrick Mahomes is prolific, is and, prolific and he is uh, elite, elite beyond question. Beyond question. But uh, when but, uh, when, you're, when you're you know you're, when your weapons when start, weapons to, start to not uh, produce not at the clip that they have in the past, and of course past, I'm talking about Travis Kelsey, Travis Kelsey and, some others, and some others, then you're going to run into some issues. So there's no question that Andy Reid and the powers that be with the Chiefs are going to have to make some decisions from an offensive standpoint. But I concur with you, right? I mean, you take a look at what what what's about to take place as far as the Chiefs are concerned, right? They're, uh, I, I think that they're probably going to end up playing in Buffalo, right? And so that's going to be uh, the uh, – they will head to Buffalo next week if the Bills beat the Steelers. Um, and uh, otherwise, the Chiefs will end up hosting the uh, Texans uh, because they beat the Browns on Saturday. But, but either way, I, yes, I don't think this is going to be some type of uh, long AFC playoff run for the Kansas City Chiefs in 2024. All right, Chris, let's go to the other game because I was massively impressed, as I have been all year, with C.J. Stroud. At the draft, I said, no, I don't think he's the guy. I didn't think Bryce Young was the guy either, but I don't think he – I thought neither one of them was the guy. Well, (laughs) he's he's the guy. C.J. Young all year long has been playing with bad offensive line play, banged up guys. He lost his number one receiver in Tank Dell. His – uh, tight end has been in and out of the lineup, couldn't catch a ball yesterday. He's got a backup castaway in Devin Singletary running the ball behind him. He's got a rookie head coach, a rookie defense out there, and he's just making things happen. And you could say all of that and say it all about the guy on the other side, Will Anderson. Will Anderson is just being so unbelievably overlooked. Will Anderson was the best player in college for two years running on that Alabama team. People thought Will Anderson probably should have gone to the Heisman Trophy you know, room and said, hey, here we go. Will Anderson has rejuvenated that defense. Houston is a team that you never want to face in the playoffs. They don't know what they don't know. Rookie quarterback, rookie head coach, rookie big defensive players, rookie guys all over the field or young guys, guys that didn't have a chance. They're dangerous in every way, shape, and form. This team is very dangerous. Cleveland, look, it was a nice little run. Um, 
turning the ball over too much is always going to lead to these problems. I don't even want to spend time on Cleveland. We know what happened to them. Nick Chubb went down. Watson went down. Nice little story by Flacco, but they were too banged up. Houston's the team to be nervous about. I, I think if Houston faced Kansas City, they'd beat them. I think if Houston faces Baltimore, they have a fighting chance. A fighting chance. Maybe I'm buying in and I'm drinking this T.J. Stroud Kool-Aid here, but he looks like the real deal. They are playing with house money. And I think Houston's a dangerous, dangerous team right now. Well, it makes a ton of sense, Tommy Barton, to uh, be drinking the Kool-Aid on the Houston Texans because they were impressive as all get out in this matchup against Cleveland. And uh, you kind of hit on it when it came to the Browns, right? A nice story that, uh, you know, you get a guy that gets off his couch, a guy that's won a Super Bowl, who is uh, far past his prime, ends up coming in there and kind of solidifies that offense. And uh, it's a Cleveland Browns defense that, 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 that hangs their hat on that side of the ball. And C.J. Stroud just went out there and was spectacular in the first half. I mean, you're talking about uh, numbers that are uh, ridiculous. 236 through the air with three touchdowns before even halftime as Texans, the Texans were able to build that 24-14 lead. Uh, you know, touchdown passes. I mean, you picked apart that Browns defense that is vaunted uh, as can be. I mean, he's got the touchdown pass to Nico Collins, and he hits the uh, both of his tight ends, Dalton Schultz and uh, and uh, Las Vegas's and uh, Bishop Gorman's own Brevin Jordan with that 76 yarder, and uh, Houston was off to the races. This is a team that is absolutely dangerous, Mr. Barton. I'm telling you right now, they are. Uh, uh, and 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 by the way, we hadn't even talked about defensively what they did, right? Which was two pick sixes that were also key into uh, to building up that score to 45 points in this game. Um, it was an impressive showing for the Houston Texans, no doubt about it. C.J. Stroud, uh, you know. What comes to my mind immediately is just his youth, right? I mean, the guy's so young. I think he's the youngest uh, quarterback to, to win a playoff game, I, I want to say, since Michael Vick back uh, in 2002 when the Falcons beat the Packers when he was uh, just 22 years old. So uh, it's pretty impressive to see a guy this young be able to grab the reins of uh, and be the signal caller of this team. And uh, on a side note, it was kind of funny, too, because you saw you know a lot of the uh, – the celebrities down in Houston after the game. You saw you know, Paul Wall with his platinum grill, as all the young kids say, his, his platinum teeth out there in the field, shoot videos, and and uh, and uh, and Mike Jones and those guys, all the all the uh, celebrities out there uh, pumped up to see a uh, uh, probably probably the best Houston football team, Tom Barton, since those uh, you know Earl Campbell. Uh, Bum, Phillips, uh, Bum Phillips, Houston Oilers teams back in the 1980s. That's how uh, that's how, that's how uh, good I think this Houston, I think Texas, Houston Texas, team Texas team is. And, uh, and it's uh, only going to get better because a lot of these guys are young guys and uh, are going to be around for a long time. When you're talking about the likes of obviously, you know, CJ Stroud and and Collins and Brevin Jordan and Schultz as well too. So and defensively, when you got Stephen Nelson and Christian Harris on that side of the ball, anchoring that that side as well too. So I think this is definitely an up and coming team when it comes to the AFC and especially the AFC South. So that was that was impressive. As, as heck as to see heck. what they were able to do against that Cleveland Browns team on Saturday. Yeah, it really was. It, Chris, you know, we got about uh, five minutes left in the show. Yeah. I love to do this after, you know, the first round. We're not quite through the first round. But I want to reset. Before the year began, 
uh, Tim Mungosby took the Dallas Cowboys to win it all. And for a lot of the, the year, we said, wow, Tim's right on the path. I was surprised. Last year, I took Baltimore. And I was surprised he didn't take Baltimore, but he had Dallas. So Tim is going to have to inevitably change his picks. If he's listening in, maybe he'll post it up on Twitter. I had the Buffalo Bills. I had Bills Niners. I had the Bills beating the Niners. I don't feel bad about my picks right now. I don't have to switch it up. I look at the field and I go, Buffalo should beat Pittsburgh. Buffalo's better than Houston. Buffalo's better than Kansas City, especially they're going to get Kansas City at home. And, and then you go, can Buffalo take on Baltimore? Can they beat them? I think they can. Over in the NFC, I think it's a clear path for San Francisco. Look, I'm hyping up your Lions, and I like the Lions. I do. But I think it's a clear path for San Francisco. So I'm not changing my pick at all. I think it's San Fran. I think it's Buffalo when all said and done. It's what I said before the year began. Even when the Buffalo Bills were 50 to 1, you know, at one point they were done. They were out of it. There was no chance. I said they're winning this division. They're winning the Super Bowl. Here we go. And I've never gotten off their bandwagon. Chris, have you changed your mind? And what is what are we going to be looking at there in, in about a month or less than a month from today? Who's the Super Bowl pick for you? Are you changing anything up? Yeah, well, I have to yeah, kind of change because I, I was in the camp of uh, the Dallas Cowboys and the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl. And uh, obviously, greatly surprised what actually actually happened today in Dallas with the Cowboys. And, uh, you know, especially given, you know, them them coming into the playoffs, the way the way they were playing. Um, So, yeah, I was surprised by that. Uh, It it makes absolutely positively perfect sense why you would have the San Francisco 49ers in in the Super Bowl. Um, When you talk about uh, the path forward. For them, it for does them. not look as not daunting, daunting as it does for the rest of the teams in the, the NFC. NFC. So, so uh, it, it makes a ton uh, of sense ton when you take a look at that. But the Buffalo Bills, yeah, I Buffalo look. Bills, my AFC team's like, still alive, Tommy. Still alive, I still think I still, I still think Buffalo's there, and there is absolutely a path. Now, look, I will say this. I'll throw a caveat in there. I don't, and and I'd like to get your take on this too. Did you have the Ravens looking like they were in the spot that they're in right now? And what do I mean by that? Well, I mean that. The Ravens look like the best team in the AFC. I mean, I, I to be honest with you, if I'm th- if I'm uh, as someone who picked the Buffalo Bills before the season started to to get to the Super Bowl in the AFC, uh, that's a team that scares me the most. And look, maybe I'm being Captain Obvious here, but I guess my question to you is this: Did you anticipate uh, even even as recently as maybe you know six seven weeks ago that the Baltimore Ravens would be the team that uh, everybody would kind of have a bullseye on when it came to the AFC playoff picture? in 2024. Chris, I'm kicking myself. Last year, right after the Super Bowl, two years ago, I should say, right after the Super Bowl, I went to the window. I took, and I talked about it on the air. I showed my tickets on on Twitter. I took 25 to 1 odds on the Ravens to win the Super Bowl, 25 to 1 odds on Lamar to win the MVP. And and, and that was when I was like, you know what? If he gets signed, it's going to be great. I love this roster. Love this team. Love everything about them. Fast forward 365 days. Now, Lamar signed. Coming into this season, I said, no. I tried it last year. They burned me. I'm not going back to the well. I, yeah. I, I just can't do it. And I'm kicking myself all over the place. No, I didn't see this coming. I saw it coming two years ago. I saw the roster. I liked what they had. But I didn't see this coming because... 
they let me down, and I was the dumb, dumb, dumb gambler that said one year means something that the second year should never mean. Now, in my heart, Tommy, you know where I'm going here. So obviously, if I'm thinking with my heart, all right, I want to see the improbable. There's been four teams that have never been to a Super Bowl and there's been four. T- there's been uh, there's been a handful, a, a couple more that have never won the Super Bowl that have been there. So for me, Tommy Barton, I would like nothing better than to see uh, Houston Texans, Detroit Lions Super Bowl, and then even better for me, maybe a Detroit Lions Buffalo Bills Super Bowl, where you know a team that's been there you know many times and has not won it and. You know, obviously you know, myself, obviously I would be myself, ecstatic be to see ecstatic. the Lions get the Lions their first Super Bowl their first win Super Bowl in their first Super Bowl, Super Bowl much like the New Orleans Saints like did in 2009. 2009. But, uh, but uh, it, uh, it creates all it kinds creates of intrigue, doesn't it, Tommy? Doesn't Tommy? For as far as, uh, as, far as uh, you know, maybe you know, some long shots, not the right word, but some surprise teams getting to the big game here in Vegas coming up in February. Oh, man, it would be fun. I I will take a Lions-Houston Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, why not? Let's do it. I love it. All right, Chris, look, that's going to do it for us, man. It was been a fun two hours. We have football tomorrow, everybody. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. We have hopefully two games. I'm looking at the, the, the map right over Orchard Park, like literally just sitting over Orchard Park. It's just dumping snow upon snow upon snow. Up, you go 10 miles in either direction, and, and <laughs> it's lining up. Nope, not there. So... I don't know if we got two games tomorrow, but we'll certainly have two games in the next two days. Enjoy your football week, everybody. Tim Unglesby will be back with me next week. Chris, absolutely fantastic. Go check him out at Christian Win over on Twitter. Check me out, Tom Barton Sports. Go check out TomBartonSports.com. Another winner today. I am now 5-1 and one over the last two days. Jump on board, TomBartonSports.com. Have a very good night, everybody. <laughs>